Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another evening where we continue our reflections into Paul's second letter to the Church of Corinth. We are in chapter 11. I was finishing up verses 1 to 6, so I will wrap up that reflection and then jump into a reflection on verses 7 to 11. But one of the things I did want to do this evening was engage verses 1 to 6 within the context of intimacy with Christ, in the context of desire. You have heard me talk about prayer as desire. So I want to continue to engage that as we have in these verses, that is chapter 11, verses 1 to 6, verses that speak to the need to be intimate with Christ. So why don't I go ahead and read those verses before we reflect into these verses. And as always, before we get into this, if you have any questions, please do not hesitate to email me at jholljmj at yahoo.com, or you can go to my website at joeholcraft.org to hit the contact link button and send your message on its way. Okay, so chapter 11, verses 1 to 6. I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Do bear with me. I feel a divine jealousy for you, for I betrothed you to Christ to present you as a pure bride to her one husband. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and preaches another Jesus than the one we preached, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you submit to it readily enough. I think that I am not in the least inferior to these superlative apostles, or super apostles as we called them last week, right? Even if I am unskilled in speaking, I am not in knowledge. In every way we have made this plain to you in all things. Okay, so this language of intimacy with Christ that we find in such phrases as devotion to Christ, uh, or this call we have to be betrothed to Christ, this does speak to prayer. Because remember, generally speaking, prayer is conversation with God, right? And as such, it is about a very real relationship with God, friendship with God. Now, you have heard me say before that the ultimate definition of the spiritual life is about how God desires that we desire God as much as God desires us. And now I speak to that because in many ways, the fathers of the church say that prayer is what? Properly understood, nothing more than a desiring God or a longing for God. In many ways, the life of prayer is already in us. If we reach our deepest desires, we will discover what but our prayer. What does Paul say in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17? Pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. If we are going to pray without ceasing, 
then one must learn how to live within that painful desire, that painful ache, that painful longing. And I use the word painful here because it connotes at the very least that if we don't roll up our sleeves and work in the tall grass, understand that there's going to be labor involved, then we are not going to get where we need to go. I love this definition that St. Augustine gives us. Desire is your prayer. And if your desire is without ceasing, your prayer will also be without ceasing. The continuance of your longing is the continuance of your prayer. I love that. So it is not with the noise of words that God hears us, as St. Teresa of Avila would tell us, but with our longing. It is not the noise of words that God hears us, but our longing. That really cuts to the chase. That really gets to the essence of what prayer is about. Now, for those of you who are faithful listeners to Seeds of Truth, you know that I treated theology of the body for probably two years, and in that time I was drawing heavily from Christopher West, and at one point there we were going through Christopher West's book, Fill These Hearts, God, Sex, and the Universal Longing. And in there, he talked about the thing we are talking about right now. And he says, in this context, this means that prayer can be a messy affair, for longing on this side of original sin is often messy. It makes us suffer, and that suffering often makes us upset, or as he puts it here, peeved. (laughs) Peeved at who? God. You know, deep anger at God is a typical part of the fallen human condition. It's in us somewhere, and anyone who makes the journey of redirecting desire towards authentic satisfaction, that is, anyone who makes the journey of prayer, is bound to bump into this primordial element of pent-up anger. And so whenever it surfaces, rather than honestly facing it and working through it, we try to stuff it ignore it, or ultimately put on some pious mask. Do we not do this all the time? I know I'm on air right now, but if you were before me, I would say raise your hand if you've done this before, and I'm sure we'd all be raising our hands. But there's something else going on here that we need to pay close attention to, especially when we talk about intimacy with Christ, devotion to Christ, what it means to be betrothed to Christ. Why? Because Well, as the Catechism reminds us, my friends, when you talk about contemplative prayer, ultimately what you are talking about is that letting down of our masks. The very phrase that comes to us from the Catechism is, let our masks fall. Contemplative prayer is where we get down and dirty with God. It is where we fully expose ourselves to God, if you will. And only then can we begin to hand ourselves over to God as we truly are. The good, the bad, the beautiful, the ugly, all of it as an offering to be purified and transformed. I want you to take a step back and ask yourself a question right now. When was the last time that you got angry at God? Or when was the last time that something happened in your life or in someone's life that you know where you just looked at God and said, what? No, <laughs> that doesn't make any sense, which ultimately led to a kind of anger. Here, what we have to remember, my friends, 
is that being angry with God is okay insofar as it draws us deeper into the conversation with God. Having it out with God is okay insofar as that having it out with God is imbued with faith. Insofar as having it out with God is imbued with that spiritual gift of being fearful before God, that all like reverence before God, okay? So having it out with God is a part of that conversation, right? God meets us how he makes us and walks with us as he is. And he understands, okay, (laughs) he understands what you are going through. He understands what you're going through more than you understand what you are going through. And he wants us to voice it. Because once we voice it, once we have it out, once we put it out there, once we become exposed, he will then be able to better speak to us, right? What are those words that come to us from Psalm chapter 38, verses 9 to 10? All my longings lie open before you, O Lord. My groans are not hidden from you. My heart throbs. I love that last phrase. My heart throbs. We hear that phrase. Wasn't he a heartthrob? <laughs> We've used that phrase. He was such a heartthrob. Our heart throbs for who but God, right? Exposing our hearts to God in this way, becoming naked before God, teaches us humility. For is it not pride that leads us to hide in the first place? Does this not go all the way back to the Garden of Eden? Genesis chapter 3, verse 10, I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. We know our sinfulness is ugly. But the thing of it is, we also think no one could possibly love us as we really are. So what do we do? Christopher West says here, we pretty ourselves up in order to be loved and accepted, all the while rejecting who we truly are. What happens there? We take on a false identity, hiding our true broken selves behind a great many masks. But the more we hide, the more we begin to wonder what? If I'm only loved when, I, when I'm wearing a mask, am I really loved at all? I think that's the question that disrupts our peace more often than not. And we ask another question, can anyone really love me when all the masks are removed? When my ugliness is on display, when all the fig leaves are gone. You see, we don't only want to be loved at our best. When we really get underneath it, we want, in fact, we could say we need to be loved at our worst. We need to be loved in our nakedness. We need to be loved in our warts, in our blemishes, in all of it. All of it. As I just said, God meets us how he makes us, and he walks with us as he is. In doing so, he reminds us that in his love, in his grace, in his goodness, we are better than our worst. We are better than our worst. If we just allow ourselves to be loved by him, we will realize a potential we could have never dreamed of. Incidentally, my friends, the word potential comes from a Latin that means power, right? Potentia, potency, power, okay? There's a power that is inside of us. And when we unleash that power 
we will realize our potential in Christ, what it means to be fully alive. Indeed, as St. John Paul II once wrote, God penetrates the creature who is completely naked before him. Completely naked before him. John Paul II also insisted that we have a duty to show the world to what depths the relationship with Christ can lead, a journey that is totally sustained in his grace and by his grace. And certainly, my friends, this is what St. Paul is talking about. He wants us to understand the importance of a devotion to Christ and not to let your sinfulness get in the way of that. And also, for sure, the ugliness and sinfulness of others, to be able to look beyond that as well. So as we talk about all of this, it really does bring us back to the importance of prayer. Prayer as desire and a stretching of the heart. St. Augustine says this, When you would fill a purse, knowing how large a present it is to hold, you stretch wide its cloth or leather knowing how much you are to put in it and seeing that the purse is small. What do you do? You extend it to make more room. So by delaying his gift, God, God strengthens our longing. Through longing, he expands our soul. And by expanding our soul, he increases its capacity. So brethren, let us long because we are to be filled. That is our life to be trained by longing. And our training through the holy longing advances in the measure that our longings are detached from the love of this world. I love this last phrase. Let us stretch ourselves out towards him that when he comes, he may fill us full. We use the word fulfill. (laughs) We are fulfilled when he fills us full, right? Here, certainly, love of this world refers to what? our idolatrous attachments to created things. Now, as we speak to prayer as this letting our masks down, Paul knew well of this. huh? Go back to verse 6 here. What does he say? Even if I am unskilled in speaking, I am not in knowledge. In every way we have made this plain to you in all things. What is he saying there? Well, the Greek word there for unskilled is idiots this is actually where we get the word idiot. The Greek is literally pronounced idiots. It's a Greek word that translates as a layman, um, amateur, or simply one who is untrained. Now, the word appears only here in 2 Corinthians and four times in the rest of the New Testament. Its precise meaning depends upon the context in which it is found So, for example, in Acts chapter 4, verse 13, it refers to men who are uneducated. Paul uses the word here to admit that he is not trained in the art of professional public speaking. His opponents now here presumably are and jeer at the lack of eloquence and refinement in his preaching. This is why Paul compares himself with who? Moses. Remember, Moses was the one who ministered to Israel despite his own struggles with oral communication, right? Interestingly, one of Paul's contemporaries, the Jewish historian Josephus, 
puts this same term in the mouth of Moses when he complained to the Lord of being an unlearned man, uh, unable to persuade the Israelites to follow him. So in the end, my friends, like Moses, Paul has a message from the Lord, and its power to save is not lessened by the personal weaknesses of, of the one who preaches it. Right? Certainly, there is something to say when someone is preaching eloquently. I don't know if I mentioned last week we celebrated the Feast of St. John Chrysostom, one of the great early church fathers. Chrysostom in the Greek means golden mouth, huh? golden mouth. Why was he called golden mouth? Well, because his homilies were so eloquent. His homilies were so beautiful and, and so insightful. He was called the golden mouth. Now, that being said, St. Paul still is making his point, and it's a point to be had. Just because we don't speak eloquently about certain things, it doesn't mean we are deficient in knowledge of them, right? In point of fact, it should be a sign if the knowledge is there and the knowledge moves you that, in fact, God is working through you. As I spoke to it last week, when you look at the Twelve, you are not dealing with men who, on the surface, would have been selected to be the founding apostles of the great universal church. No, maybe, maybe Judas, right? Judas was the one who had background, right? But we know the story there. He doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the call. And he does so in his grace. So I thought that to be interesting. <laughs> you have the word idiot there, and you can now well imagine why this word can be so demeaning. It's so important that we come to understand where words come from, because once we do so, we then can better appreciate why we should or should not use them. And of course, in this case, being called an idiot is uh, not the greatest affirmation. That being said, St. Paul is speaking to the fact that he is an idiot in the Greek, right? And that God is still working through him. So maybe it can be an affirmation if we seek to imitate Paul in this way. All right, how about verses 7 to 11? Did I commit a sin in abasing myself so that you might be exalted because I preached God's gospel without cost to you? I robbed other churches by accepting support for them from them in order to serve you. And when I was with you and was in want, I did not burden anyone, for my needs were supplied by the brethren who came from Macedonia. So I refrained and will refrain from burdening you in any way. As the truth of Christ is in me, this boast of mine, there he is, speaking of this boast, right? This boast of mine shall not be silenced in the regions of Achaia. And why? Because I do not love you? God knows I do. I love that. <laughs> you know, St. Paul's epistles are so down to earth, so very real. Why? Because so many of them are caught up in this pastoral practice of engaging those who he is writing to. I mean, listen to that last verse. Because I do not love you, God knows I do. Come on. I mean, St. <laughs> Paul is saying, come on now, right? And yet, do we not have to say that sometimes? Come on now. huh? Do you really think I think that way, or do you really think that I feel that way? Sometimes, you know, my friends, we are so caught up in 
ourselves and what we are going through that we don't take a step back and evaluate something for what it is. And we need someone to remind us how silly it is that we get caught up in certain things. We need someone to say to us, come on, really? Really? St. Paul is saying, do you really think I don't love you? God knows I do. Please bear with me. Understand that everything that I do is for you, not for me. And here in these verses, Paul is defending his practice of refusing financial assistance from the Corinthians. He wants them to see that he was able to support himself among them by the many donations from other churches. And certainly by his own manual labor, right? If you're to go back into Acts chapter 18, verse 3, we've talked about this before. He was a tent maker, right? Now, the Corinthians, unfortunately, took this as an insult and an indication that Paul did not love them. So, to counter this, Paul reveals several reasons for his pastoral decision. First, he wished to lay no unnecessary burden on them. Second, he hoped to accentuate the stark difference between his ministry and that of his opponents, who greedily took advantage of the Corinthians' resources, and third, and most especially, as their father, spiritual father. He wanted to provide for them in the same way that parents do for their children. In the end, my friends, Paul's tireless labor was ultimately a greater expression of love than accepting any kind of monetary gift. This is what Paul wanted the Corinthians to see here. So he is very specific to draw this out. You know, you might ask yourself in these verses, what's the point? Why does Paul apparently defend himself? Well, I don't know if we talked about this a few weeks ago, because this certainly comes across, excuse me, this certainly comes across elsewhere in these epistles. Paul is not defending himself for the sake of himself. He's defending the truth of what he's doing for the sake of truth, and he's rooting it in love. There's a big difference between defending yourself for selfish reasons and ultimately defending yourself for God's sake, literally speaking, for God's sake, for the truth of Jesus Christ, for those who he's ministering to. One thing that St. Paul is clearly concerned about is how uh, those super apostles and the other emissaries are taken away from what St. Paul is doing. I mean, I don't know about you, but maybe you have found yourself in a situation where you have ministered to people, and by the grace of God, and only by the grace of God, are they coming to Christ. And then people begin to enter into that circle and begin to work against what you're doing. This is what's going on here, and St. Paul wants to make it clear here. I have come in the name of Jesus Christ, and only in the name of Jesus Christ. These other super apostles, these other emissaries, they do not come in the name of Jesus Christ. And if they would pretend to suggest that because I am not eloquent enough for you and that they are, they're only filling up their wineskins of pride. This is the message that Paul has for, for the Corinthians. Okay? All right, I'm looking up at the clock and we are out of time. I was hoping to get through uh, verses 
uh, 12 to 17. We will pick up here tomorrow. Again, if you have any questions about anything that I talked about today or anything that I have talked about, period, please do not hesitate to email me at jholljmj at yahoo.com. Or if you have any questions about the Catholic faith in general, please send me an email. Now, as many of you know, each Thursday is Special Topic Thursday, an evening that is tailored to your questions. So what I do is I take a look at your questions, and after going through those questions, I take one or maybe two of those questions to air. And in some cases, what I do is just simply respond to them if they're more personal. And if you are a faithful listener, you know that these questions are just not apologetic questions about the Catholic faith, or for that matter, the the wider Christian faith, um, but also very practical questions about the spiritual life. I really noted that last week as I was going through all the questions you have asked me. Certainly, I will take up those questions that seem to be most pressing, um, or if there is a question that comes up more than once, I certainly take that up. So, Anyhow, please do send me your questions, and uh, today's Monday, this Thursday, I will take up your questions. I've got some questions in my queue that I'm looking at right now, some questions on the spiritual life, some questions about Christianity, some questions about faith and politics, and while I've spoken to that in great detail in the past, I just might take up one of those here in the near future. Certainly, we can stand to do that. All right, with that, let us go ahead and close with a word of prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.